This is Planet Money from NPR. When I pulled up in front of his restaurant, Yang Zhao came out to meet me in the street. Hey, how's it going? <laughs> good, good. How are you? I'm all right. Nice to meet you. Yeah, thank you for coming. Yeah, I was like, where am I going to park? <laughs> yeah. I was late because I had spent 25 minutes driving around trying to find legal parking. Yang helpfully was like, it's fine. Just park in front of the restaurant, even though the sign says otherwise. Yang gave me permission because there was no one else around to say no. Recently, he's become kind of like the boss of West 41st Street in Manhattan. Yong Zhao is, in fact, a boss. He's the CEO of Junzi. It's a small chain of Chinese food restaurants that serve not fast food, not casual dining, but the offspring of those two things, known as fast casual. When I walked up to the door, I wasn't sure if he was letting customers in. Do you let people in or no? We let people in. We do? Okay, so they come in to pick up. Yeah, they come in to pick up. Okay, all right, I'm going to follow you in. We walk in, and it's like being transported in time way, way back to March. Oh, my God. You know, I think your restaurant's the last place I ate before the lockdown. <laughs> really? Wow. Yeah. My yeah. friend and I would, like, come here. I, actually, I even know Inside, it looks the same as it did pre-pandemic. Tables up front, at the back, behind glass, are rows of bean sprouts, roasted tofu, scallions, all laid out in an assembly line. And the whole place is bright, painted in light tan and white. It looks like an angelic Chipotle, minus the customers. 60% of people is gone, right? They're not here. Office crowd, the tourists, the students, gone. And people don't really live in Midtown in normal times. So now, even though restaurants are essential services and can still do takeout or delivery, they're less essential when no one's around. Most of the restaurants around here just locked their doors. So there are very few opens. If you look around here, nobody else is open. I noticed that, like, yeah. Chopped is gone yeah, and everything's just closed. Just you guys. Yeah, just us. The pandemic has devastated the restaurant industry. Five and a half million employees have lost their jobs or been furloughed. It's more than any other industry. And for Chinese food restaurants, it's been particularly brutal. As early as January, as news was coming out of Wuhan, they started losing staff and customers and revenue. Many closed. Did you think about closing? No. You're like, that never crossed your mind to close. No. There's a reason Yang's place is the only open restaurant on this block. It's that Yang isn't thinking about just the restaurants on this block. He's thinking about tens of thousands of restaurants that have already figured out how to survive a pandemic. Those restaurants are in China. Yang knows that if he can figure out what they did in China, then he can survive too. Hello and welcome to Planet Money. I'm Amanda Aronchik. And I'm Mary Childs. Young's restaurant is in the hardest hit industry, in the hardest hit city, in the hardest hit country. But Young has a crystal ball. Because his friends and family in China, they're months ahead of us. So even before New York City shut down, Young was making emergency plans based on a blueprint that he borrowed from them. Today on the show, how one restaurant chain is looking to the future to survive, maybe even expand, at the worst possible time. Support for this podcast and the following message come from LinkedIn Learning. A lot of things are changing in our professional lives. So LinkedIn Learning wants to give you a hand with skills that can help you and your career. 
They have more than 16,000 courses taught by industry experts. Learn skills like how to master working from home, entrepreneurship foundations, or how to be a resilient leader, to name a few. So keep learning the skills you need to rise to any moment and try one month free at linkedinlearning.com slash planetmoney. We're spending more time at home than ever before. So now's a great time to finally adopt a dog, right? Socialization is going to be harder because socialization and social distancing uh, are definitely at odds. <laughs> so before you decide to adopt a canine companion during quarantine, listen and subscribe to NPR's Life Kit. Yong Zhao grew up a few hours northeast of Beijing. He came to the U.S. to get a degree in environmental science, but along the way, he got distracted by this question. Why aren't there more Chinese restaurant chains in America? Only one brand has 1,000 stores. That's the Panda Express. Panda Express. There's also P.F. Chang's, but they only have a few hundred outlets. Most Chinese food restaurants are family-run. So Yong drops out of his grad program, starts taking business classes. Now he has this dream, a new kind of Chinese restaurant chain. Super hip, super modern. In 2015, the first Junzi restaurant opens. Right now, how many outlets are there? Right now we'll have five, but this one designed for 1,000 stores. And it takes time to become a 1,000 store store. <laughs> what do you, this was designed to become a 1,000 stores? Yes. What does that mean, de- designed to become a 1,000 stores? Location, staff, the management, everything is scalable. The idea is to build a scalable brand, not just a restaurant. So they have a research kitchen in the basement where they try out new recipes. One of their locations is what's known as a ghost kitchen. You can't eat there. It's a kitchen that exists just for delivery. Overall, Yang is trying to build this beautiful restaurant chain. And it was going pretty well. Until earlier this year, around the Chinese New Year in late January. Yang starts hearing from his friends and family in China about this new virus. He was in China for the last coronavirus outbreak, SARS, in 2003. This one sounded worse. And he ends up getting into this funny situation with masks. They were selling out all over China. First couple weeks, I actually started buying uh, face masks. And then I shipped them to China to give them some friends. So wait, you had friends in China who were like, we can't get N95s, and you shipped it to China? Yeah, that was like uh, February. February, okay. But then take a long time for the shipment to arrive in China. So when they get it, it's like, I don't need it. <laughs> then the virus hits the U.S. And Young is like, wait, about that mask, um, do you mind? Yeah, I need it. Ship it back. So when I meet Young in person, he's wearing a mask that crossed the ocean three times. Obviously, Young was ahead of the curve. He's been watching Chinese media and hearing from his friends. This pandemic was coming. Things were going to change. So on March 5th, more than two weeks before New York City went into lockdown, Yang gets his team together and he says, look, sales are dropping. We have to lay off staff for now, but I have a plan. Hey, this happened, but we know we're, you know, 100 days away from recovery. So we just get through this. He's like, our customers will need new things from us. For a while, they're not going to be coming into the restaurant they're going to be at home, stockpiling. First two weeks is a panic. It got a lot of instant noodles, got a lot of frozen dumplings, just do that. Remember, Yang has been talking to people in China for months. He knows that pretty soon, people will be tired of instant noodles and frozen dumplings. They're going to want takeout again. So he tells his staff, we need to be ready. He starts removing the chairs from his restaurant. Customers can come in and pick up, 
but they can't stay. He sets up the space less like a restaurant and more like a logistics center for spicy mushrooms and pickled cabbage. It's optimized for speedy takeout. Delivery bags are placed in small groups, like preschoolers, waiting for Grubhub and Seamless to pick them up. And that works. But he also starts realizing that he's going to have to change the meals themselves. The whole restaurant concept was fast, healthy, individual servings for office workers and students. Now his customers are trapped in their homes and their food needs are becoming refrigerator centric. How much food can we stuff into our fridge? How long will it last? What can I make from leftover Szechuan chicken and half a burrito? People stuck at home, right, with their family members every day. So people don't order single meals because they don't they want to reduce the contact with society. So Yong's restaurant buys bigger containers and starts offering family meals, enough food for three or four people or for three or four days. Then he takes some high-cost items off of the menu. So there's less pork hock and beef shank. Those are hard to get, hard to cook. And he puts more chicken on the menu. By March 18th, the virus is pummeling New York. So Young sets up an option on the order form. Now you can order for yourself and send a meal to a hospital. While I was at the restaurant, these two guys popped in. Oh, hey, guys. This was exciting. You guys are the first people I've seen besides my family in, like, <laughs> two months. Two staff members, Andrew Chu and Justin Udry, were taking food to hospitals in the company's newly repurposed delivery vehicle. Uh, it's just a Subaru Outback. You know, it's a pretty standard civilian vehicle. It's mostly to bring the team You know, usually just used for civilian missions. That we do, uh, you know. And then, around the end of March, the Junzi team borrows another idea from China. They've been watching the rise of pandemic live streaming there. One of the most popular things that people are watching is a live feed of a construction site. China was racing to build two new hospitals, and people started to tune in more and more until allegedly some 40 million people were watching along. If you missed it, you can watch 10 hours of it on YouTube. It's been scored. A troop of bulldozers crisscross the site. Cranes gracefully dig holes. In the comments section on the side, you can see people cheering on the cement king and a truck called the Big White Rabbit. It became China's hottest new reality show. And to Yang, it showed how much people wanted to see something outside their homes, something that was actually happening. Not a scripted TV show, not a video game that could restart. Real life. So Young thought about what he could do, something real that people could tune into that combines live streaming and food. So probably most American people would get sandwiches and uh, pizzas. <laughs> you have a very sad impression of what Americans eat, but okay. Yeah, exactly. So, of course, our food compared to the food they can cook from the fridge is more exciting. His team calls it distance dining, and here's how it works. You order an elaborate three-course meal, the food arrives cooked, but cold. Hey, everybody. Um, and at 7 p.m., you go on chef Instagram. Um, we're going to walk you through how to plate your meal now. Thank you for being And their chef demonstrates the best way to reheat so and plate what you find in that delivery bag. Um, but you're going to open it, and inside, you're going to find a chicken wing that is naked and a glaze. It's the closest you can get to a restaurant experience while still in quarantine. And this naked wing is cooked and ready to go. But if you want to get it crispy, what we're going to do is we're going to toss it in a little bit of um, the glaze and then put it in three to Two months into the lockdown, Yong and his team have kind of figured out how to survive. 
The family meals, the deliveries to hospital workers, the three-course dinners, it's keeping the business afloat for now. But Young is not thinking about now. As usual, he's focusing on what happens next, when the lockdown is lifted, when he'll have to face the single most dangerous thing in this pandemic. People. People starting to eat at his restaurants again. Dining out won't be the same, he knows that. But what will it look like? After the break, we peer into the future. We go, virtually, to a restaurant in Beijing to see how they're letting diners back in. Support for this podcast and the following message come from CFP, Certified Financial Planner Professionals. CFP professionals are trained to provide holistic financial planning in your best interest. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org. Sticks and stones might break your bones, but during this pandemic, hateful words could actually kill you. This is dangerous at a level which we haven't seen, I think, in in generations. This is painting a target on millions of Americans. Your questions about race and COVID, next time on Code Switch from NPR. It's 8 a.m. on a Thursday, and we're on a video conference with Young. We chat for a little bit, and then there's that awkward moment where we go from being audio only to adding video. Oh my goodness, Young, look at your office. Um, sorry, my background is, is a mess. <laughs> What's going on back there? <laughs> home. <laughs> I share my office with my wife, so. <laughs> Wait, are you blaming this on your wife that it's a mess? Yeah. <laughs> anyway. So the point of this call is for Yang to introduce us to his friend, Na Chen, who's in Beijing. Hey, Chen. Hey. Hey, I'm here. Hello. Hi, how are you? <laughs> Hi. <laughs> Na runs marketing for a chain of over 150 restaurants called Yunhai Yao. She and Yang have known each other for a little while. Yang is a huge fan of their food. And the restaurant is one of the places he keeps tabs on as he tries to figure out what to do next. Na told us that the worst part of the pandemic for her restaurant happened back in January after Lunar New Year. That's when they had to shut down completely. So the government doesn't basically shut down everything, so they're closed. But now Na is living in a post-lockdown world. In February, they start reopen. Recently, her restaurant started letting people back in to sit down and eat with a very specific set of regulations, which is why we asked her to give us a tour. So we could see into the future. Okay, I can make make her show you around first. That would be great. The restaurant is a big open space, a few thousand square feet inside of a shopping mall. There's fabric draped from the ceilings, all grays and green and bright light. There's an open kitchen in the middle. Na shows us the menu. It's like a thick, glossy magazine. There's a map of Yunnan province where the food is from. There's lots of mushrooms and pineapples and handmade tofu and their famous steamed pot chicken. As Na flips through the menu, young fanboys over the logistics of it all. So they have a, a 70 to 80 dishes. Think about it, 180 dishes in a chain restaurant in 100 locations. That's insane, right? That's crazy. Looking around the restaurant, it seems like things are pretty normal. But when you start to look more closely, it's like a blurry image coming into focus. You see all the ways in which things are not normal. So look at that that table. At the entrance, right in front of a stack of metal pots with chickens steaming inside, there's a table covered with a bunch of stuff. There's a little bowl of candies, some hand sanitizer, box of tissues, 
and this big list on a notepad. On all of that table is that tracking of the customers. If you want to eat here, you have to show them this app that tracks where you've been. It's tied to your national ID number, and that gets written down on this list. So you have to tell who you are to be able to eat. It's almost like you, you go to a building in New York. You have to put your name on it. So you put your name down. And then yeah. what is that little uh, gun looking thing? Is that for temperatures or is that for, for temperatures? For temperatures. Okay, so they write down who it is. They write yeah. down their temperature and then yeah. they know what yeah. table they're sitting at. Yes. Yes. And, and why also, so many details? Well, if you want to track, that's how they do it. <laughs> so you can track who has had contact with whom. And then there's this big poster looking thing taped up to a piece of glass right by the table. So that's basically showing the record of the disinfection in the store, sanitation in the store, and also the employees' temperature, everything. That's in the front of the, the restaurant. Right. Like, this is basically the ad for the restaurant because it's it's what you see when you're walking through the mall. Yeah. So you get to look and say, like, okay, they cleaned every two hours. Yeah, and exactly. also everybody on the staff doesn't have a fever. Exactly. So you walk in with two other people maximum, only groups of three or fewer can enter, and every other table is off limits. Sitting on the table is a sign with a bright red hand, and it says, yeah. don't sit here. Yeah, yeah. And this table, don't sit. <laughs> yeah. How many people are in the restaurant right around now? Like, I, I thought I saw... Now? Yeah, roughly. Mm, uh, maybe 10. 10 customers. Okay, and it seems like totally normal day. Like, well, the restaurant... no, no, definitely. 8 p.m. in normal days, they're packed. Oh, so it's more empty than usual? Yeah. If you're not packed at 8 p.m., the restaurant will be dead already. <laughs> so, no, things are not back to normal at this restaurant in Beijing. It's open, there are people at tables, but it is just a fraction of the usual customers. Can you ask Na if... She's seeing in Beijing what we're seeing here, which is like anger and people fighting back and people refusing to follow the rules. The people actually follow the rule very diligently. But not like people feel anger about it. They just feel, well, this, this has to be done like this way. So they're frustrated, but not frustrated by the government policies. <laughs> yeah, so those questions are actually hard to answer. <laughs> Which questions? The questions about whether people are angry? Yeah. No, 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 no. <laughs> Basically, Yang summed it up like this. No, people are not angry. But if they were, they would not tell the American media about it. What did she say? And do you have a, uh, for other questions? Move on to other questions, please. This is kind of where Yang's crystal ball stops working. Because as people start eating in restaurants again in the U.S., the government is unlikely to require businesses to take down ID numbers and track fevers. Yang knows it's a trade-off. So this is basically how much you have to do in China and keep it open. Yang, does this make you kind of terrified because we are doing so few of these things and yet your restaurant is open? Yes. I mean, to be honest, yes. I think even when Americans want to reopen, we don't want to have a table for oh, a while. Oh, really? You don't plan to have people sitting inside for a while? Probably not. It's too hard. Probably not too hard. Huh. 
Back at Junzi, Young still has no chairs, and they're not coming back anytime soon. But he has a lot of other plans. We're still planning expansions. You're still planning expansions? Yeah. Even in the middle of all this? Yeah. Young says, think about it. Low labor costs, low rent costs, less competition. So if you have the resources, now's a great time to expand. So that's why we keep it open, right? Keep it open, you have more resources. Still, you're serious. Like, this is like, you're going to expand yeah. during the pandemic. Yes, we're trying to expand. So growing is very important. <laughs> that seems crazy to me. But Yong thinks about it with this metaphor. It's a very tough environment, but it's like it feels you are in a forest fire. You are the seed, not the, the, the tree that burned. When there's a fire, in this case, a pandemic, it clears out all the big older trees, which means the seeds, the little guys, have room to grow. You know, it's time to grow because all the sunlight's there. There are no big trees blocking it. Why wait? We endure the heat, but you're still ready to grow. Around 5 o'clock, the Grubhub and Seamless Delivery guys started forming a line outside the restaurant. And Yang, he's got to run. He's got a call scheduled with the former financial director of China's McDonald's outlets. The guy lives in New York now, too, and he's got some ideas about where to put the next Junzi. Do you have a time travel machine that will take us away from this year? You can email us at planetmoney at npr.org. We're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We're at Planet Money. Today's show was produced by Liza Yeager, James Sneed, and Nick Fountain. Alex Goldmark is our supervising producer, and Bryant Erstadt edits the show. Thanks to Derek Arthur at the NPR show Rough Translation for his help with translation. Exciting news. This is our 999th episode. Depending on who you ask, 999 can represent completion, the end, or it can mean something that is everlasting. So this is either the very last episode of Planet Money or Planet Money will make episodes forever. Check your feed on Friday to find out. I'm Amanda Aronchik. And I'm Mary Childs. This is NPR. Thanks for listening.